Hi, I'm Matt Ward, and welcome to episode 14 of the Running Industry Podcast. I had no loyalty to anything up until then, but I fell in love with these products. I suppose it was that because I loved the product and it was that kind of almost the case of, look, if this brand disappears, I'm not going to have access to these products anymore and I'm not going to be able to run around the belt and do the stuff that I'm doing. Was kind of the, one of the motivations that got me to really get involved with Mount Fuel. In today's podcast, I'll be talking to Rupert Bonington, co-owner of endurance sports nutrition brand Mountain Fuel. Mountain Fuel is a British-based business run by a small team of individuals with a passion for nutrition, physical activity and the outdoors, and usually a combination of all three. Coming from a family who loved the mountains, Rupert excelled at many mountain sports and he got a taste of working for himself after a number of years digitising and producing Dad Sir Chris's lectures and website. What I learned from my dad, he was very focused and driven and passionate. And I think if you've got that drive and passion and you believe, you've really got to believe in what you do, then you'll get to where you want to be. You just get to the level that you want to get to. And I think that's what I've always tried to do. I've just gently drive the business forward. I'll always gently try to drive myself forward and just appreciate life. And in this fascinating episode, Rupert will talk us through his upbringing, his love of the Lake District, why he's so proud of the UK heritage of the Mountain Fuel brand, and we'll also find out a little-known fact about Rupert's history in the UK music scene. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Run Industry, on our website, runningindustrypodcast.com, where you can listen to all the previous episodes and subscribe to future ones. For now, though, on with this week's show. And our guest... Rupert Bonington. So, a big thanks for joining me on the Running Industry Podcast today, Rupert Bonington. Hello, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, thanks Rupert. Um, you're at home today in the beautiful Lake District, and along with the rest of us, uh, hopeful that you'll be able to enjoy the lakes a little bit more in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm guessing that 2020 was an interesting year for you especially with rehabbing from a hip operation and steering the mountain fuel brand from lockdown to lockdown. And I also see from social media that your hip operation and recovery wasn't as straightforward as hoped. You've had quite a bit to deal with this last 12 months or so. It's been an interesting 12 months. Um, but then it's been, you know, it's been a, a very different and interesting and challenging time for everybody. Um, I think that we... You know, as a, as a small business, you know, we were kind of, we're, we're lucky in the sense that we were able to carry on trading, um, you know, when when the first lockdown came about. It was a bit weird at first, while everybody was getting used to it, you know, we even put a message on, on the website and said, look, we're only going to do orders once a week. We're trying to stay dive, trying to, you know, reduce um, contact with everybody and all that kind of stuff. But we realised that actually people were still training, they were still going out, there's still the requirement for fuel. So we weren't actually delivering a, a kind of service by doing that. So, you know, we we then kind of lifted that and started, you know, doing kind of daily orders, you know, as, as we've done before. You know, and we've and we've done, you know, like I think like a lot of online businesses, I think we've done all right. 
Um, you know, obviously, you know, it'd been a, a very different if if real events were taking place. Um, but you know, compared to a lot of businesses, um, I think we've had it, you know, we've had it good really. For me personally, it's definitely been a challenge. You know, I, I was a very active person. I have absolute passion for anything sporty. Like literally, I'll watch anything. I'll do anything. Um, but my love is the hills and the mountains. Uh, and like you said, you know, I had a, a hip operation. I'd actually, by that stage, I'd already had two hip operations. And then I kind of, during lockdown, my kind of hips didn't improve. And I ended up having to have a full replacement on my right-hand side. So that, you know, th- that's definitely impacted on my ability to run as much as I would have liked. I did do a bit of running after the first two operations. But, you know, it is what it is, you know, and I think I'm a very much a believer. You've just got to, you, you just deal with life and you just get on with it. And each day brings something new. So you just, you know, it'd be great to get out of lockdown. It'd be great to be more social. It'd be great to be able to go to different parts of the lakes again. When that happens, we'll just have to wait and see. Looking at, you know, Obviously, you're a very social beast. I know that, Rupert, from being, I've seen you at events and seen you uh, out and about in the community, should we call it. So obviously, you're going to have missed that. But equally, I suppose, having to deal what you've had to deal with just from a health point of view, have you found any, you know, low points? You're a very optimistic person. Has that, you know, mental health been an issue? Yeah, it's a really interesting subject, that, because I think I am a very optimistic person. I think that I am very, very lucky in where I live. I think being surrounded by hills, even if you can't get into them, um, gives you a lift. I think my family are very supportive. And I think that also, I think the way that I've grown up, I think that my kind of lifestyle when I was younger, seeing how my mum and dad had to live with my dad's kind of chosen career, there was a lot of adversity there was a lot of fantastic times there was a lot of incredibly sad times so I think I've kind of learned to deal with adversity in 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 a way that you know because of all those things but yeah absolutely there's there's times where I'll turn around to and I'll be like I don't think I'm ever going to run again I'm just absolutely you know gutted and you know and uh, she'll say come on Let's go out. We'll just even, you know, even if you can only walk to the top of Castle Ed, which is this tiny little mound overlooking the lake, and it's literally a 15 minute walk with a little mini climb. And I'll walk up there and I'll hobble up and I'll look at the view, and it'll be like, oh, if this is all I can do, it's, a better, it's better than a lot of people ever get to do. And I think it, the hardest thing, I suppose, is just accepting that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go out and do X, Y, or Z. I'm not going to be able to beat a certain time. I'm not going to do this. So I've now got to change my my um, mindset to one of. But even when, I was, even when I was running, running really well, the thing I loved the most was just socially running. So I'd be running on the fells with my mates and I'd be like, and I'd take photos and I took photos because I just couldn't believe everywhere I went, it was just stunning. And I'd sit for like, we are just so lucky. We, we're running here. We live here. People pay to come here and hold it. People pay to do this. And we can just get out of our door and do it. And whatever happens, I can do that. I, can, I might not be able to run or run as fast or run at all, but I'll be able to waddle up, walk up, crawl up. I'll be able to still have those experiences and I'll just have to appreciate them in a different way. Which is what it's all about for a lot of people, isn't it? And we should be 
I think all of us who live in the in the outdoor environment, you know, and out in the mountains, whether it's here in Wales or up there in the lakes or whichever part of the world people are in, we should always appreciate these things. It's glad I'm glad that you can still can, Rupert. You know, you can still get up there and still get the view of the lake and uh, and so on and so forth. It must be really good for you. I guess we should clarify from the start for those listeners just wondering about your surname. Yes, you are the son of the world famous Sir Chris Bonington. How was it growing up in a family environment where your father was a mountaineer and to some extent a sporting celebrity? It was just like any normal, you know, ultimately when you're in that environment, it's just a normal environment. Now, clearly I I didn't know it was slightly different, you know, especially when we were kind of younger. When we first moved up to the Lake District, up to Cumbria, I was like four. You know, people didn't really get this kind of climbing, mountaineering thing. So, you know, going to school... You know, at that time, my dad was doing the hot, beefy Bovril adverts. <laughs> so you can imagine I had quite a lot of piss taken out of me by the older ones and stuff. You know, as far as dad being away, you know, he, he was away a lot, you know, and, and a lot of those expeditions, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd go with mates and, and quite often he'd come back and he wouldn't be bringing a mate back, you know. And wow. so it was a really... <sighs> It was a really interesting childhood in that in that sense because you know you kind of had to learn to deal with a lot of different emotions going on in the house because obviously my mum was incredibly supportive to my dad going off and doing all these things but mm. then I think of how how hard it must have been because in those days there was no fast communication so how my mum actually dealt with it must have been so so hard because. He's out there. You know that he's doing something dangerous because in his peak, you know, they were they were absolutely challenging the hardest climbs, the hardest mountains, uh, and doing it with the kit they don't kind of have now. I've got an amazing amount of respect for, for, for my mum and how she did it and, and for their relationship, you know, for the fact. And I think that's helped me as well with my relationship. You know, me and Anne, we've got an incredibly strong relationship. We can both go off and do our own thing because we've, we've kind of learned that you've you've got to let people do their thing in life and you know you you know and i think that draws you together as well when you when you kind of back together you know it was very different to grow up in that environment i suppose but for me i didn't know i didn't know any different and to me it's just a normal blog however i put his ex i put a lot of his lectures together and over time he's told me a lot of stories that aren't necessarily you know told in the public arena and you know, you can't help but have unbelievable respect for what he's achieved and what he's done and how he's done it as well. You know, he really, he's always tried to do what's right for the team or the people, you know, for for, the, for what, he's, what he's done. I think I've kind of learned a lot from that. And that's probably affected how I've tried to be when I've had businesses and dealt with other people and how I am with people just in general. Absolutely fascinating stuff. And I guess, you know, that's you know, the, the road was the pathways almost set out when you were younger then from that respect. Did you find that, you know, that, that upbringing and, and when you left school and moved on from there, Rupert, you know, did you have any inclination about what you wanted to do? I mean, at that age, did you have any idea? You know, both me and my brother did rebel quite a bit, I suppose, in our younger years. You know, we both had issues at school. You know, we were both left school prematurely, let's say. Um, and I think a lot of that possibly was a combination of 
you know, maybe just not really understanding all different things that happened over the years, combination of trying to fit in because people saw you as a bit different when you were younger. So the best way to fit in was be one of the lads and all that kind of stuff. I'm a poor old mum. I had to deal with that as well as my dad being away. But I also learned a lot, incredible amount from my mum. She was an Alexander technique teacher, you know, technique teacher. So that was all about body and posture. She was a neurolinguistics programmer. So she did a lot for people, you know, with kind of, you know, everybody talks a lot about mental health now. Where she, had a, she did a lot in that area, helping people and also in the world of sports, she was help people. So I learned an awful lot. And also on the nutrition side, you know, I might have ignored it when I was a teenager, but I learned a lot from it. You know, she 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 was very, um, you know, she had an incredibly healthy, wholesome diet that, you know, she kind of helped my dad with. She helped plan his expeditions, but the kind of stuff they would eat and why they would eat it. Wow. And I suppose I picked up on a lot of that stuff that's helped me now and that approach and that kind of rounded approach that she had has definitely helped in how I go about um, producing products and stuff with Darren that we're going to introduce into the system that we have. But one thing that was apparent is that your entrepreneurial spirit, I think, as this is the Running Industry Podcast, it'd be great to get into the Mountain Fuel brand. Talk us through how you got involved in the brand, Rupert, and what attracted you to the company after you'd sold your previous ski business? Although they're linked in sport, they are very different sectors of the sports industry. And how did you become a partner in a business with Darren Foote? Yeah, so basically, so when I so when I sold the the ski my shares in the ski business, we had, we actually had a period of time where we we were kind of going through that process of getting valuations of various different things. And in that time, the three of us, as myself, my wife, my, my wife and um, Paul, who was my kind of fellow colleague at the time, we were basically just spending. And we had an amazing summer as well that like, year, spring and summer. So we basically spent the entire time walking the hell with the fells. Like literally, literally every day, it was just, every day was just gorgeous. We were just out, just out walking, enjoying, just loving where we were living. Reminding me, because when I had the ski business, you know, I'd have to go down to London you know, I'd be away quite a lot with that because that's where the main office was. Um, and yes, I got to enjoy the outdoors because, you know, we would we would go like maybe three, four, five ski trips a year kind of thing. That balance between you've got to do, I'm a very much a believer in if if you're involved in something, you've got to do it because that gives you the passion and you've got to, and you've got to meet people there and you've got to, you know, it's, you've got to help drive things forward. And I think that's what I learned from my dad. He was very focused and driven and passionate. And I think if you've got that drive and passion and you believe, you've really got to believe in what you do, then you'll get to where you want to be. Now, now that's not to say you'll be the most successful in the world at it, because not everybody can be the most successful or the best. You just get to the level that you want to get to. And I think that's what I've always tried to do. I've just, I've just tried to drive each day. Some days I've got less drive than others. From that, from that kind of walk, my brother was over here and he basically was going to meet this guy down in Wales. Because uh, my brother's got a gym in Australia, and he was looking at taking this product called Mountain Fuel because it is one of one of the members of my brother's gym in Australia said how amazing this product is. So he was over here seeing the family who's doing that. He went down to see him, came back. He says, "Rupert, you really need to go and speak to this guy because you had a really good crap. He's a fantastic guy. The product I've heard is absolutely fantastic. Blah blah blah, but he's having problems." 
And, you know, I think this could really work for you. You know, I had a, a crack with Darren. I started using the products, using them for a long time. And, and, and I kind of got to the point where I was like, I was relying on the products when I was going out because I'd used lots of the products in time. And they just, I wasn't, I, I had no loyalty to anything up until then, but I fell in love with these products and the system and the concept. I suppose it was that because I loved the product and it was that kind of almost a case of, look, if this brand disappears. I'm not going to have access to these products anymore and I'm not going to be able to run around the bells and do the stuff that I'm doing was kind of the, one of the motivations that got me to really get involved and looking at why things had happened the way that happened with the, with the brand and the business and what we needed to do. And, you know, again, I've got no experience of having a nutrition brand or anything like this. So it was a massive learning curve for me. One thing I did know was that, you know, the brand and the products needed to prove themselves in the industry because we didn't have loads of money. We didn't, we didn't, we couldn't do the traditional route. And I think there's a route that a lot of people try to do. And I think they realize it's very expensive and doesn't work. And ultimately they ain't going to stay, have longevity is if you just throw tons of product out there and throw tons of products at people, you don't get any loyalty. So you've got to build the loyalty. So I kind of learned very early on in this in the stages that you know if you if you've got people that you just give just give free product to, then if somebody else comes along and offers them free product too, then actually what's to stop them saying, oh yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, you know, he's given me more product than you give me, so I'm going to use his product now. And then and that and that to me has an impact on the business, doesn't it? On on, on the product because it's like this. Well, it can't be that good because you know he, he was using it, saying it's the best thing. And now it's other guy. So, so I suppose that's kind of changed how my how the view I've taken in how we've kind of grown the business, and we've just taken our time. And then from that, we've just spent time adding different products into the system. But we'll only add a product into the system if it actually enhances the system. You know, I'm not into just having lots of products for the sake of products. To me, it's got to fit within that system and it's got to be something that I'm going to use on a long day out or a short day out or whatever activity I'm going to do. And it's going to make a difference because I want to be able to turn around to you as an individual and say, look, this is what I do. If you do this, then hopefully you can have a great experience. Yeah, because that's often the way that great brands, um, however big or small, you know, are built, isn't it? You know, you're almost providing a solution to something that you see is needed. Well, it's like when Darren first, when I first got together with Darren, we didn't have a sports gel because my experience, my personal experience of sports gels was a messy one. You know, I've used them in running, you know, quite a lot. My kind of most recent memories to, because of, again, that hot summer before we got involved with Mountain Fuel. The last time I had a sports gel, I was basically running around the Glender Terror boiling hot day, been for a long run. I was coming around there. I'd had this gel. I won't name who, was, who made it. And it ended up very messily with me having to dive into the bracken. And, and that is just not, you know, I run because I love to run. I love for pleasure. You know, that's where I run. If I have, if I take something that isn't, that isn't adding to that pleasure, <laughs> then it's just not worth having. So I was kind of, even though sports gels are great for sports nutrition businesses, there's no VAT on them, you know, the reasonably priced to produce, all that kind of stuff. We could have done them from day one and I'm sure we'd have sold a decent amount of them. But I couldn't look at you in the eye 
and say, oh, you have this sports gel as part of our system mm. because I'd be worried what would happen. So the flip side of that is it took us absolutely years to come up with a different concept because we knew that there was a gap in our system because people were still having to use a convenient fuel like a gel but there was impacts that they were having with those gels. So, and that's why we kind of came up with the, the sports jellies because again, they're very different. They work differently, easier on the stomach, they're refreshing and they work, you know, they work, you know, you, you can have, you know, my daughter's a type one diabetic. I've got friends and we've got lots of customers who've got Crohn's, who've got major stomach issues that, that can use the jellies. Interesting. I suppose we undersell ourselves because we didn't, you know, I don't, I don't really send stuff out to magazines. I don't really send stuff out to get reviewed by, by people and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, another brand came along and claimed to be the world's first hydrogel and chucked it out there to lots of marathon runners and this, that, and the other. Well, actually there's a little brand in Britain that produced the world's first concept kind of hydrogel. And that's based up in Cumbria. We're maybe just not as good at showing off about things, maybe. But isn't that also a bit of a, I'll call it a British trait, but equally I'll call it a, a kind of quality almost in, you know, whether it's all the way from, you know, you might have seen recently, you know, Dr. Martin Boots, you know, they've been going for God knows how many hundreds of years. They're understated, aren't they? They're kind of like, they're great, come and get them, you know, as opposed to being very, very, very vocal about it and making all sorts of claims and so on and so forth. In the UK, small brands have tended to just kind of go about the business, haven't they? Yeah, I I, I think so. And a lot of our kind of, you know, like we we do we do do kind of Facebook advertising stuff and 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 kind of the, the Facebook advertising, for example, uh, that I do, but I put like nutrition guides out there. So they're getting something free. They're getting to see how we suggest that you could fuel a marathon, half marathon, ultra marathon, whatever. And absolutely, you know, that when we come to talking about the nutritional element and what to take, absolutely, we talk about our products. We'd be crazy not to, because I'm not into these generic, you know, you see a lot of people or companies who, who don't really understand the realities of nutrition. They just use the generic stuff that everybody says, oh, you, you can have X carbs per hour and you can do this and you can do that. And you should be, you know, trying to have this. And they talk generically about gels and drinks. That's not like reality. You know, a lot of our products are based on science, but then we have a practical side to it because the practical reality is when you get into a real race or you're in a real training environment and the temperature is different, your cadence is different, all those different things, science almost goes out of the window because just because science says I can do something in a, in a lab under very controlled conditions, when I'm in a real environment, it works very differently. So our years of experience have kind of taught us that, you know, there is a balance to all these things. It kind of leads perfectly onto what I wanted to, to try and tease out as well is that um, Mountain Fuel is quite different to your average um, sports nutrition brand out there. The way that you communicate to the consumer, as you've just highlight, highlighted as well there, it's an extremely competitive market, isn't it, in sports nutrition? But the product offering you have is very interesting. Talk us through some of the highlight products, I suppose, and what it can offer an endurance athlete and let's say your average runner or mountain sports enthusiast i think for me i think we've we've got like a complete system now whether you choose to use a complete system 
very much depends on the activity you're doing and, you know, your own personal preference for what you like to use and take and all that kind of stuff. But I think the beauty of our system is you can rely on it and it and it, and it basically has every element into it. So you have elements of, of kind of what people class as real food. You've got elements of actual supplementation and you've got elements that are also there to ensure that what you're taking on board is genuinely easy on the stomach. So, for example, I don't know, when you're saying they kind of highlight products, I suppose our sports jellies, if I wanted to something to be the best selling ever, then I think the sports jellies would be up there because they have been such a game changer to so many people in, in being able to have a convenient product that they can use to get that um, that energy replenishment on the go compared to what's out there. You know, they're not like a, a normal gel, which is a syrup, and they're not like a shop block, which you need to have water with. You know, these these really do tick all the boxes. And then I think as well, the, the new, the, the ultra chia gels, there are a kind of new gel. And again, that's that's more for people who, who prefer that kind of food type feel because your jellies are very much your carbohydrate hit and your mineral hit. So you've got your electrolytes and your carbohydrates in there for your fast action, fast, fast release. Where the chia gel, it's got a little bit of fats in there. It's got protein in there. So this is for your more endurance, even though it will work for your faster stuff. And people, you know, people will still use it for whether doing a marathon or whatever. But it's a different type of release. And again, and that's why they work so well in combination, because you've got to look at your energy curve. And if you've got things, so my daughter's a type 1 diabetic. So when she's, when when her bloods are low, what she has to do is she has to take on board a very fast acting um, glucose. So that gets her sugars up. But then what you also need to do is you then need to take on something that's going to slow it down. So it's not such a massive spike. And again, that's the same within when you're doing, you know, when you're doing endurance kind of running, you want the same kind of thing. You, you don't just want this sudden energy spike, which is what a traditional sports gel or a shop block, for example, would give you, you want something that actually, yes, it does give you a, a, a faster acting energy, but then it holds it there, it sustains it. And while it's dipping, it gives you then time to then have something else rather than this kind of up and down, big spiky um, energy release, which which ultimately just is exhausting. What makes a successful product is it is actually what it delivers and the ingredients that go into it. We look at functional ingredients rather than the fat ingredients. You know, some people, you know, they're like, oh, well, I can't have that because of this. And I'm like, well, well, you should have that because actually that's functionally going to help you better than what you're talking about. You know, we had a friend of ours who was paddling um, around the coast, around the coast of Britain. And she was given a load of um, product of somebody who was with a very natural product, like very natural. And she was just she was just getting to the end of each day, exhausted, absolutely exhausted. So her partner basically phoned me up and said, Rupert, you've got to send me some amount of fuel down, sent it down. And it, it just does the job. You know, we're not trying to be, you're not trying to claim to be the healthiest or the most, you know, in ingredients or anything like that. We have just nutritionally balanced each product to do a good job. Some of them are not more nutritious than others. Others others just do the job that the men are do. End of story. You know, there's so many factors that actually affect 
how you enjoy something. And I think we've just got a lot of experience from dealing with and helping with lots of people from beginners to your world-class athletes in, in getting the most out of their experience and enjoying it. You're listening to the Running Industry Podcast with me, Matt Ward, and this week's guest, Rupert Bonington. Remember, we've also got a Patreon page, so if you want to help us along the way, we'd be really grateful of any support via Patreon. Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com. Reviews and ratings also help the podcast, so it would be amazing if you could give us a little review or a rating. And of course, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. One area of the running industry that you have a strong view on is, is the role of, say, the ambassador athlete and influencer. Um, when it comes to sports marketing and social media, Mountain Fuel does things in this area a little bit differently. But obviously, as any aspirational sports brand, you do need to acknowledge these areas. But you do look at things in a slightly different way in that respect, don't you, Rupert? Yeah, I think like I touched on earlier, when I first got involved in the brand, the kind of standard way of doing stuff was to find some good runners, basically just give them loads of fuel and say, right, promote the hell out of us. And and I think I kind of learned early on that that doesn't necessarily, A, it's a bloody expensive way of running a business. Sure. But B, I, it, it just... It, you know, I think people seeing that just see through, through it so much nowadays. Um, so I think very early on, I kind of decided, well, look, absolutely. You know, you might have to send some samples out to somebody who, who, who you know, a top-end runner or whatever says, yeah, I'm interested in your product. Yeah, I'll send you a few little samples. But beyond that, you know, if you really like our product, we don't just give free products. So you, d- you don't physically sponsor people from, from want of a better word? We don't no. We we basically we we've always had the thing where people will buy our product, and you know there has been occasions where, for example, we've actually helped somebody out. So, say for example, you know if they've got like a a heavy race year and they've got loads of races to go to, we might help contribute something towards like a flight or or hotel cost or whatever. But they'll have bought, you know, they'll have paid towards their fuel, do you know what I mean, for the rest of the year and for that race kind of thing. And it's just a way of helping out because, you know, we are the more, and it's like whenever people get in touch with us about charitable stuff and I'm doing this amazing event or some explorer and they're going to go and climb this unknown mountain and all this kind of stuff and say, you know, can you give us this? Can you give us that? And I'm like, well, look, I believe in trying to help as many folk as I can. And if, and, if, and if we just gave everybody everything for free, we wouldn't have a business for starters. Sure. So, you know, everything's based on a kind of different discount kind of levels. And I think also what we say to anybody who uses us, so even from the guys right at the top, it's like your, your John Alban, world champion trail runners, down to some somebody who's just a really passionate runner who wants to become our ambassador. We used to have a dead standard email that goes to them. And, and the first line of that email is, Word of mouth, you just do what you do. You be yourself. If you do do any social media stuff and you want to tag us in, absolutely. Here's our hashtags. But first and foremost, you talk to folk. You just be what you'd be. Yeah. You know, we're not, we don't want you to, to hold, flash our products in everybody's faces every two seconds. We don't want all that because I think nowadays people are sick of it. No. And I, I, you know, I see a lot. I, I'm, I've kind of got to know various people over the years who, uh, you know, have a massive followings and a lot of them don't do what they claim to do. 
they just don't. And I know they don't. I've been with them when they've, when they've, when they've been doing things and they haven't actually done what the next post has suggested. They've just done this, this like, this ridiculous thing. And I'm like, well, I was with you, mate. You didn't do that. <laughs> I really, you know, for me, it's it's about being real. You know, for me, the brand is real. You know, we don't claim, you know, we I do believe that we're, we are very good at what we do. But there'll be some, some of our products that people don't like the taste of. There were some of our products because of whatever issues somebody might have not gone with. But that's life. That's you know you can't you can't be all things to everybody. And you know we, even even with our ambassadors and people like that, we would never turn around to somebody and say you can't have another product either. You know they might really like two or three of our things that we have, but actually there might be something else that somebody else does that they like as well. And if that actually helps them get a result in a race, whatever level they're at, who am I to say you can't do that? So we're not going to see the latest uh, Instagram sensation uh, dancing up and down a fell. Sponsored by Mountain Fuel anytime soon. Possibly not. Diplomatically put that, Rupert, I think. Time is always a little bit against us on the on the Running Industry Podcast. Let's get your crystal ball out, Rupert. Where do you see development for the Mountain Fuel products? How would you like to see the brand grow let's say more generally in the next five years or so? Um, I think as far as the, the products themselves, we have got some, some of the products that we're going to be introducing, but like I kind of, like I said before, you know, we only introduce things if it actually genuinely adds to the system. If it genuine, I can see a genuine performance benefit to it, it will go in the system. So we've Press all the time off, off our users and say, oh, can you do this and can you do that? And we'll look at it. And, you know, it's like, for example, um, we're getting a lot of requests to, to make our vegan recovery and our morning fuel and our night fuel vegan. We've had a couple of attempts. At it. The problem we've got is our current recovery fuel, it's just so good. It tastes bloody fantastic. And it and it does a job. It's not just you know. It's it's not your your stuff that you buy off your your muscle building website. Your standard stuff. It is a performance recovery fuel that is designed to do a job for people who are active to give them lean, strong, recovered muscles. Sure. We've got to try to to emulate that within a vegan mix. Now, obviously, you've got very different blends of amino acids you've got very different types of proteins you've got to use so they mix differently they taste differently and those things are really it's really hard to get that right blend we just don't want to put something out there that we're not 100 happy with so we've done lots of variations and we just can't quite nail it like we could easily put something out there God, we, could jump, we could jump on the you know we could jump on you know the the vegan bandwagon but we, we, out of respect to those people who are vegan athletes, we don't want to do it. We don't want to just jump on it. We want to give them something that we genuinely believe is the best product for them. So, you know, we will do it, but it will it'll take time until we're really comfortable with what we've with what we've produced. Yeah. So I think as far as where we want to be in five years' time, look, we just want to keep doing what we're doing. We just want to keep producing what we're producing. We want to just keep steadily, you know. If, if people want to buy our products and we get new customers, fantastic. But we've got no visions of being the biggest and the best. We've got no visions of taking over the world of sports nutrition. You know, we are we will we will be what we will be. And you know, obviously, 
I think for the sake of some of our products that I think really should be out there, if they could be, if they were had a bit of a wider reach, absolutely fantastic. It'll just have to happen. You know, I'm not sure that that we'll ever go down the route of of trying to smash the magazines and and just sponsor your London marathons and stuff like that because that's just not us. You've got a philosophy. You've got a DNA, let's call it, haven't you, within the brand that you want to hold on to and hold dear. Try to, yeah. Try to. And just briefly on manufacturing. Everything's everything's produced in the UK. So everything that we do. Everything's produced in the UK. We're, yeah, we're a, British, we're a British brand. That includes your packaging and everything. The packaging itself, as far as where it's the original source of the packaging, not all the packaging I could guarantee is is made in the uk kind of thing but all of our manufacturing of the products like for example our bars you know they're they're a little bakery that we use in cumbria brilliant you know so it's you know we really do try to keep it very much a british brand and i suppose that is one of the i suppose if i have got one frustration you know we are a british brand i think pushing the boundaries like we have with the sports jellies and things you know there there are other products that maybe maybe because we're northerners and we maybe should have concentrated a bit more on the south first we've allowed products that may be imported from america sweden or whatever you know a bigger kind of sway than i feel that they should and i think the impression is people think that they're a british product but actually they're not you know we are we are and i you know i am i do really believe in you look after your local businesses you look after British business, you know, I'm patriotic in the sense of trying to look after British business um, and be proud of British business and what we as, as, as British businesses can produce. But that, And that's fantastic because I think looking after local businesses, but also helping you both grow is something to be pretty proud of. Congratulations on that. And it's great to see that, that you are working in that respect. I guess just looking a bit more closely at the running industries, what are your thoughts on the running landscape at the moment, Rupert, in terms of you know races, media brands, retailing, and I suppose putting the pandemic to one side for a moment, do you think it's in a good state at the moment? And where do you see development and innovation coming from in the industry? I think it's, it's very mixed in the running industry at the moment. I think that online um, retailers are doing well you know i know that for example our local two stores you know kong running and peatland sports they're both having record sales you know because people can't go into shops that's not necessarily to say that they're maybe matching the sales as if as if they had people going in the stores as well but their online sales are definitely you know doing really really well but then the flip side of that is that you know the guys that organise the events, the guys that have that have helped create this passion for running and the industry are really struggling. And you know, I think it's they're doing as best as they can through virtual events and things like that to try to 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 help satisfy their their kind of customers and things like that, and to try to keep some motivation out there in the industry. And as far as you know, what's going to happen this year, I think it's so hard to know, isn't it? You know, I suppose the sensible thing to do would be take a very cautious approach to the pandemic and, and wait till we've all been double jabbed and things like that before we start big events. And but I think if you work in the industry, you're just desperate to, to get these things going. So, you know, as far as they're concerned, they'll be hoping that by the spring, there'll be events of some form, maybe similar to what there were last year, you know, where you've got a bit of social distancing and depending on the landowners, you know, you can get up to X number of people running. So, you know, hopefully 
you know, safety aside and all that kind of stuff, hopefully there will be some form of event type structure this year because I think that, you know, they those guys, you know, whether they can last another complete season without that. And I think that would that would have a really big impact. There's some absolutely fantastic events out there and organizers who have built up incredible, you know, loyalty amongst their their consumers and this and the other. And if some of those went, then it'd be a real be a real shame for the industry because they've they've helped create what it is now, your ultra running's grown snacks, trail runs grown snacks. And it's down to people like that who've gone out there and taken the risk of setting up events, doing things. Um, that have given us, you know, the the kind of business that we have now. Sure. And in terms of, I suppose, the innovation bit, I suppose in your sector as well, all the way from drinks to gels to bars, do you see any, let's say, windows for innovation in that, Rupert? Do you see that there's something that's missing that you can kind of just chisel into a little bit over the next few years? I'm sure there will be there will be certain things. You know, I think that I think like I touched on before. You know, I think the sports jellies were were massive innovation there's such a massive game changer you know we haven't really maybe not made enough of that within the industry you know it's it's interesting isn't it because obviously you get different views you know the, the kind of keto you know a lot of people going for the low carb high fat diets you've got people kind of um, turning you know the kind of vegan i think you within those different kind of beliefs you're going to get certain types of innovation but I think you know, for us, it's it's the, the innovation just naturally occurs from where we see a gap, so where we see. But it, you know, some of those innovations can just be really subtle. I don't think there's going to be like some mind-blowingly different product out there as such. You know, it, it'll just be a subtle difference in how you put the product together. You know, the sports jellies—they're they're just a subtle difference in in the ingredient uh, matrix that makes them work the way that they do. You know, principally, they're still a gel, but they're they're more of a jelly. And I think that's that's kind of what will happen. And maybe just with people's more understanding of of sports nutrition, people might just start using things in a slightly different way. So incremental more than, uh, let's say, um, than groundbreaking. I think so, because, because ultimately all the kind of natural foods and stuff that we've got to work with, if it's going to be absolutely mind blowing, then it's probably going to have to be some form of processed. Yeah. Okay. And 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 if it's processed, then that I think would, that, hey, if it works brilliantly, then then absolutely. But I think there's quite a movement for trying to move away from too much process. The majority of foods that we eat have some form of process involved in them, but I think people are recognising that too much processing of certain things isn't good for you long term and certainly not good for the planet long term interesting and there's that whole environmental side of it as well isn't that but all i can say is rupert you know congratulations on what yourself and darren have done obviously with the mountain fuel brand over the last few years it came to my prominence you know a few years ago and i think that your energy your beliefs and just the understanding of the market that you're in you've nailed it i think in that respect and uh, i'd just say congratulations keep doing what you're doing oh thank you the end of this podcast normally rounds off quite nicely with some what we call quick fires. So here we go. I've got three for you. Yeah. What do you see as your greatest industry or career achievement to date? I think it's got to be the sorry, sorry I'm a bit boring, aren't I? It's got to be the sport jellies, the jellies and the cheer gels because they work so well in combination. Um, and it's something that you know my daughter's type one diabetic. Kind of mentioned that it's something that she relies on when she's going out to do something active. So for me, that's that's huge because before that. 
it was Haribo's or or whatever, you know, that just gave it those spikes. And, you know, so it's really hard. Whereas these things just really help stabilise the bloods. And so to me, on a personal level, they're, they're, they're huge. Fantastic. And yourself personally, where do you see yourself in, let's say, five years or so, Rupert? Are you set more of the same? I know you talked about the brand. Home is where the heart is, isn't it? And uh, you obviously love the lakes. How do you see things over the next few years? I do, I, yeah, I just think it'll be very much. I think it'll, you know, as we are, you know, I'm 52 this year. Young man. But I, but I still feel in my heart, you know, as far as my, in my head, I'm still 21-year-old, can go out and smash a sub-three-hour marathon. Do you know what I mean? No problem. So, you know, I think I think things will be different as the next five years go on. And I think I will, on a personal level, I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy doing different types of activity to different kind of levels. But I'll always push myself. Like, you know, I was out for a walk the other day and uh, we were walking up Cat Bells. It's a gorgeous morning, a stunning morning. Me and my wife, hips have been a bit sore the day before. And I saw this, this figure in the distance and I thought, right. I will be at the top of Cat Bells before that person. <laughs> and I just can't help it. So it doesn't, you know, and so I didn't run. I was just walking, but I, run, I, walk, I could walk pretty quick, to be fair. And and, and I, so I think whatever I do, there's always an element of self-competitiveness. So it doesn't matter what it is. And I'm not being competitive with anybody else. So it's just in my, it's, I just, I just enjoy that kind of drive and things. So it doesn't really matter what I'm doing. I will always do that. So I'll always gently drive the business forward. I'll always gently try to drive myself forward um, and just appreciate life. I think, you know, with this pandemic and everything that's gone on, I think you've got to appreciate life because life might never go back to what it was. You know, we just don't know how things are going to be. So I think you've just got to appreciate every day that comes, you know, when my mum, so it's a very quick fire answer, is it? It's all right. Keep going. <laughs> when, when my mum got diagnosed with, with MND, it was honestly, she's the most healthiest, fittest person that I've ever known, mentally, physically fit. So when she got that diagnosis, it was like, bloody hell. Yeah. This the thing can literally happen to anybody. And I think that made me kind of think that you've you know, you've got to you've got to put your own life first. You've, there's certain things you've got to do in life to pay the bills, to do this, that, and the other. But actually, you've actually got to take a little chunk of each day and give it to yourself. However many minutes that is, you've got to make the time to give yourself that time because life is bloody short. And you've got to try to make as much of it as you can. Fantastic philosophy. And uh, hear, hear to that, Rupert. I think if you can keep pushing on with that for the next 50 years, you'll, you won't do too badly. Finally, Rupert, tell us something about Rupert Bonnington that people wouldn't know. Oh, I, I had, well, me, me and my mate had, my best mate, Rob, we had uh, quite a successful little hip-hop magazine Back in the nineties, wow! Um, we were on. You were a dude. <laughs> he was. I wasn't. And we had. Uh, so we, we were, being, you know, we really good. Like we were doing like a monthly slot on uh, Tim Westwood's Radio One show on the hip hop scene in the UK. We were crazy. Like you know, we were interviewing like all the absolute top top hip hop stars of the day. Biggie Smalls, people like that. You know, introducing them to the UK first interviews and stuff. And we did that. 
from a mate's little bedroom in Heskett Newmarket. I used to have to run across. So I basically lived Netherall. He was asking you. And I used to either run across the fields or the fell to get to his house. I used to have to bike around. So that was my little commute to work was running, <laughs> running over there. He worked a night shift. We just, we just, it, it just kind of grew. And I think that, you know, that, that's something that was, um, it kind of, I suppose it kind of helped form what I did. And we learned so much from it. That's, that's, this is a whole different podcast. I think, you know, it's kind of, I've been asking these questions to all the guests over the last uh, couple of few months. I think we could, we could have a big Zoom call with people just telling these stories, these uh, excerpts. And I'd love to delve deeper into that whole side uh, one day, Rupert. But, uh, I think our running industry podcast listeners would probably uh, start to switch off a bit if we started talking about uh, the history of hip hop. Well, you never know, one or two might enjoy it. But it has been an absolute pleasure. I um, appreciate you giving up your time, Rupert, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And over the next few years, obviously watch closely as to the development of Mountain Fuel. So, But thanks very much for joining me. It's been brilliant. Well, thank you. No, I've, enjoy- I've enjoyed being a good crack. So that's it for another episode of the Running Industry Podcast. A massive thanks to Rupert. And we'd like to wish him and all of the team at the Mountain Fuel Sports Nutrition brand the very best in the coming years. I'm grateful as ever to everyone who tunes into the show. And over the coming weeks, we've got some amazing guests from ultra running greats to coaches and brand owners. Thanks as ever for listening and remember that reviews and ratings always help the Running Industry Podcast in gaining exposure. So it would be great if you could give us a rating and a review and of course make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And of course you can follow us on social media via at Run Industry. A quick mention again that we'd be really grateful for any support via Patreon Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com where you can catch all of the episodes of the show. Keep listening, keep spreading the word and we'll keep making the podcast. I'm Matt Ward and the Running Industry Podcast is an Amplify production. Thanks for listening and until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye.